Several years ago, a reviewer was asked to review a new released Christian book. And there's something he said in the review that I'll never forget. He said, kind of showing the evaluative process, he said, for any book to be a truly Christian book, it must contain three things, color, fire, and music. What a great insight into what happens when Christianity touches anything. I won't go on to the fact that he showed that that book had none of those three things. <laughs> but deeper point is that whenever the gospel touches a person's life or the church or a culture, a civilization, or a seminary, the result is always color, fire, and music. And this particular beautiful songs that we heard today uh, remind us of the wonderful way in which this season, especially Advent, brings together singing and almost the longing and lament that's so powerful as a Christian distinct act of praise. For I think that one of the things about this season is we don't simply remember the past longings, do we? You know, it's not just that we're trying to recapture what it was like for the prophets to anticipate the coming of the Messiah, but we ourselves are in our own longing, aren't we? We're in our own longing for a world that's not right. We have our own longing for the second advent of Jesus Christ, who would turn in power and glory usher in the new creation full of color, fire, and music and set things right. It's no mistake that Revelation is a, is a book of so many hymns, so many great songs. They're trying to give us some insight into what happens in the new creation. Biblical lament is a profoundly Christian act, but it should never be confused with worldly despair. If you go to the Oxford Dictionary or the world of, you know, the, the uh, Webster, they're kind of synonymous, but never in the Christian vocabulary. The world is in despair because it has no hope. The, war, the Christians are in lament precisely because we have a hope. We have a hope of the new creation. We have therefore a deep longs and longing in us that Romans 8 describes as that, that groaning of even creation itself is we longingly wait for our the full revelation and our incorporation, what it means, our full adoption into God's plans as he intervenes and sets things right in this world. So the Advent longing that I want us to capture today, it's so beautifully expressed in these songs, is that I'm referring to a, a longing that has nothing to do with your current emotional state at this moment in the semester. Praise God. This is not about that. We have that, of course. I have it, you have it. But it's really about a deeper reality of what it means for us to fully participate in the larger narrative of redemption. In other words, we're part of a great story, a story of color and fire and music and how sometimes those things are not fully realized in the world that we live in. Our text this morning are really comes to us like two ends of a rope. The rope being the great messianic stream, which is not to be confused with the entire narrative redemption, which goes from creation, new creation, Genesis to Revelation. 
But this is that other stream in the middle of that great stream, the prophetic expectation of the coming of the Messiah, which Advent particularly reminds us of. I want to reflect on that great anticipation this morning. In that sense, our texts are like two ends of the rope. Hannah is on one end at the dawn of the Messianic expectation. Mary is on the other end at the high noon of Messianic fulfillment. On the one end you find Hannah, a barren woman who has just miraculously received the amazing gift of her, her son into her, her, her uh, barren womb of Samuel. And the other end, Mary, who had miraculously received the good news of God's visitation in her uh, virgin womb of the Messiah. Despite over a thousand years apart, they sing the same song. Interestingly, they're only 20 miles from Jerusalem. Think about it. Here is, on the one hand, Hannah in Shiloh, about 20 miles north of Jerusalem, singing her song. And later, Mary, 1,100 years later, singing her very almost identical song, 20 miles south of Jerusalem in Hebron. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that we're trying to capture in this, these two songs. Both Hannah lived at, and, and uh, Mary lived at a time of great darkness. Uh, in Hannah, we're told that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was a difficult, dark time. And Mary, on the other end of the rope, she lives a time of the crushing oppression of the Roman Empire and the horrific experience of the Jewish people under that, that rule. Two women in the world of darkness singing the same song full of color, fire, and music. Two women bound together by nothing but this prophetic hope, this expectation, and this realization. Two precious women holding two ends of a rope, and along that rope will be the whole line of the prophets who also join in this song of expectation. When William Carey famously went to India in the 19th century, he was once said in a gathering that he was prepared to go to the darkness of India with the light of the gospel. But he asked this, if I go down into the well of the darkness, who will hold the ropes? Who will hold the ropes to make this possible? He says a great prophetic call that goes out, beginning with Hannah. The expectation of the ages delivered to a world of darkness. But who will hold the rope? Hannah and Mary hold the rope. The song of Hannah is actually the official beginning of the messianic expectation. And you notice in the reading of the text that it closes with her saying the words of the anointed one. This is the first time in the Bible where the anointed one is used. This is the, the word anoint, of course, the, the word anoint as an act of a priest doing something is found, of course, early in Leviticus. But this is the first time that the anointed one as a noun, as an expected one, the word Messiah, the word anoint is Messiah, now becomes the transliteration of a title, the Messiah, which of course is the word anoint in Greek is the word Christos or Christ. So this is the beginning and the birth of that amazing and important phrase, the lips of Hannah, all the way to Mary in the Magnificat, who rejoices 
that that very Messiah, that anointed one, is in her womb. And along that rope of prophecy, we hear Isaiah's voice. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Hannah and Mary didn't let go of the rope. Along that rope of prophecy, you have the words of Isaiah. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Praise God. Hannah and Mary held on to the rope. Micah, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be a ruler over Israel. What a great expectation. Along that prophetic rope, you have the word of Daniel. The Son of Man appeared, approached the Ancient of Days, was given authority and glory and sovereign power over all peoples and nations and every dominion and every kingdom will worship him. Mary and Hannah didn't let go of the rope. Along that rope, you hear David's prophecy, you are my son, today I have become your father. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Think of all the songs along this line. Along that rope, you hear the song, the stone the bit is rejected become the cornerstone. Along that line, you hear Jeremiah's great word that a day is coming when I will write a new covenant and I will carve it not in tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Yeah, this is the rope. Think about Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, this is the great hope. Mary and Hannah held on to the rope and went all the way through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi. Did I forget anybody? All of them. First, the Song of Hannah. The Song of Hannah is a song about hope. And hope is believing in something which hasn't happened yet. Hannah was a person of hope, and she was prophetically standing at a little, you might say a pool of water. If you ever go to northern Minnesota to uh, Atasca State Park, there's a little dribble of water there, which is the beginnings of the Mississippi River. It travels from that point all the way to the Gulf, over 2,500 miles before it enters into the tremendous ocean gulf. In the same way, Hannah is like there at the headwaters, coming out, coming out ultimately the birth of Christ, singing out over a thousand years of this hope about something that's going to happen that can't be done or achieved through human strength. Something in the world that can't be accomplished through human ingenuity. Think about all the things we try to solve through human strength, human ingenuity, human planning. It's something that breaks all of that or any kind of human power. It only happens through the anointed one. And listen to the reversals of this. Verse 4, the, bow, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who are stumbled are now armed with strength. Verse 5, those who are full have to hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. This is not kind of quiet uh, reversal. This is in bold reversals that are happening. She who is barren has borne seven children. Has to be seven, doesn't it? She who has had many sons pines away. 
This is the great reversal. This is the whole gospel reversal. Why? Because God is on the throne. He directs the affairs of the world and the universe, and he decides what will happen and how it will happen. God is in control of this universe. He can change the, the course of the universe. He can pr uh, trump out and preempt the, the plans of this world. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And Hannah, same thing, verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. The Lord sends, he raises, he makes alive. He will thunder, he will give strength. This is Hannah's song. This is Hannah's song. She, she declares that he is the great actor in the universe. All other actors will be passed away. He is the actor in the universe. There's none beside him. He takes orders from no one. He was created by no one. He is life. He is self-existent. There's nothing in him that should be out of him. Nothing out of him that should be in him. He didn't need to create the world to satisfy anything in himself. He was already perfect, uh, beautiful relationships within the Trinity itself. Remember the Puritans said God in himself is a sweet society. He remembers nothing because he's forgotten nothing. He learns nothing because there's nothing he doesn't already know. He didn't need to recall something because he holds all truth simultaneously. He's the God of the eternal now. Every point in history is eternally present to him. And so he stood by young Hannah that day, inspired her in a hope, an expectation of something that would happen that would be impossible unless God acted. It's this little song, no one took it seriously. It just seemed to be like dribbling out like a little stream coming out, picking up the end of a rope. Now I have no idea what's on the other end of the rope. When Eli heard her praying for this hope, Eli thought she was drunk. Right? The text says that. Thought she was inebriated. So here's God singing the first, most important messianic song in the Bible. And the, even the church thought she was drunk. Later, when it comes to the fire of Pentecost, and the Pentecost fire comes, they thought we were drunk. The church should think we're drunk. The world should think we're drunk. It's time that we get drunk <laughs> on the Holy Spirit. Make sure you tweet that right. The church should see us as those that are caught up in the color and fire and music of the gospel. And the world, even the church, will not always hear it. The heaven will not be concerned with the Donald Trumps and the Kim Jong-uns and the, the Xi Jinping's. No one will care. No one will care what Janet Yellen says about the latest interest rate. Their names will never even come up. Because the only name on our lips will be the name of every name. The name of Jesus Christ. Song of Mary, in her, in her song, and again the same great reversal. She opens with the same word of praise. My soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Listen to verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, but scattered those who are proud. Verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but lifted up the humble. Verse 53. He has filled the hunger with good things, but sent the wrench away empty. 
Jesus Christ's incarnation did not come to Plato's academy. The incarnation did not come to Herod's temple, Herod's palace. It did not even come to the Jewish temple, did it? The, the incarnation happened in a lowly stable in a cave, cold and damp, with a peasant family, because God himself enters into this great reversal. He identifies with the weak and the lowly and the broken because he is reversing the things of this world. There's a great reversal coming. And it tells us that we don't have the last word. God does. That's what this whole season's about. That's why we long. That's why we lament. That's how we ask God to come again. That's why we ask God to change this world through the power of the gospel because this world has no power to change itself. Mary has delivered the deliverer and she never let go of the rope. She held it. These two women held it. And we're here today. We don't have to go and do anything but announce to the world what God has done. And when Mary eventually put her baby in the arms of Simeon, symbolically turning him over to the world, it was Simeon who said, Lord, dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you wrought to the ends of the earth. We have seen the salvation of our God, the redemption of the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. This is the great hope. This is the great song. We praise God that these two beautiful, wonderful women who the world counted as nothing, that God chose them to pick up these two ends of a rope along which comes the entire prophetic stream. One, an early word of expectation. One, the final word of fulfillment. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful truth of how you sing your song into the world that knows nothing but the din of all of the clatter of this world. Lord, help us to tune afresh into this beautiful song. In Jesus' name, amen.